Sirah, a biography of Muhammad, the last messenger of Allah, written by Professor Dr. Safwat Khalilovich. Chapter 16 Life Before the Prophethood Adolescence prepares man for life. Muhammad, peace be upon him, grew up an orphan. His father, Abdullah, had died before his birth, and his mother, Amina, died when he was six. His grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, died when he turned eight. Authors of biographies of the Prophet, peace be upon him, note that when escorting his grandfather's funeral party, young Muhammad was sobbing with sorrow and pain. When he was nine, he moved to his uncle Abu Talib's household. The choice of Abu Talib as a guardian was a fortunate circumstance as he was a very noble man. Abu Lahab, another paternal uncle of Muhammad's, took to debauchery after Abdul Muttalib's death and once even stole the valuables from the Kaaba shrine in order to buy wine and pay female singers. Unlike him, Abu Talib was a man of virtue, which earned him great respect and trust of his fellow citizens. In addition, he was also very generous, so much that he often ran into debt, according to some biographies. Abu Talib and Muhammad's father, Abdullah, were children of the same father and mother. Abu Talib and his wife, Fatima, had a lot of children, and it was not easy to provide them. After Muhammad had arrived in his uncle's house, he started working and earning his livelihood already then, in the tender age of nine, in order not to be a burden to his uncle. He shepherded flocks of sheep of some Quraysh families on the hills around Mecca for few pennies. He did not regard the small salary he earned as a reason to quit the job. In that way, early in his youth, the Prophet learned to do a useful job and contribute to the family in which he lived. This is an important lesson for the parents who give everything to their children without requiring any useful work from them. Such children reach maturity without having learned to work, that is, grow up having taken everything they needed from their parents without getting used to do some useful work on their own, which can turn into a huge problem for them in the future. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, pastored other people's sheep for a very small pay, because that was the only job he could do and get paid for at that moment. How wrong are the ones who say they do not want to do a low-paid job? and who instead of doing some useful work, sit idly expecting their bread and butter to fall from sky. This is a wrong approach, as one should strive not to live off someone else, but to give his contribution to the advancement of human life on earth. Islam teaches us as that very job is honorable, as long as it is permissible, and that is why one should use the opportunities that come by. The Prophet, peace be upon him, was a shepherd for many years, until he turned twenty-one when he started dealing in trade. As a shepherd, the Prophet also learned something else. It is not easy to call the flock together. In that way, he was being prepared for the mission whose goal was to hold people 
together and unite them in promoting the good. Whoever was a shepherd must have had an opportunity to see the sheep often going astray, and it is not easy for a shepherd to bring them together. Likewise, people often get dispersed and go astray, since every individual has his own ideas, plans, ambitions, passions, so it is not easy at all to bring them together around a single idea or goal. In a certain way, the shepherding he did in his youth prepared the prophet for that task. As a shepherd, the prophet learned to be patient, gentle, and sympathetic even toward animals, given that, as the Quran notes, he was sent as a mercy unto all beings. The 21st chapter, verse 107. People who have no gentleness and pity for animals are hardly likely to show these traits toward other human beings. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about the Prophet, peace be upon him, A messenger has come to you from among yourselves. Your suffering distresses him. He is deeply concerned for you and full of kindness and mercy towards the believers. The ninth chapter, verse 128. Abu Talib's wife, Fatima, was a noble woman, and she was generous with the young Muhammad. Later, when she died, someone asked, O Messenger of Allah, why do you grieve so much for one old woman? He answered, Why not? When I was an orphan in her home, she left her own children without food, in order to feed me. She would neglect her own child in order to take care of me. She was like a mother to me. Ibn Sa'd reports in his tabakat that when breakfast was served in the morning, Abu Talib's children would tuck into the food and grab it before Muhammad even touched it. When Abu Talib noticed it, he ordered that food be served separately to his nephew because he was very shy. As noted earlier, the Prophet, peace be upon him, started earning his livelihood very early by doing what he could do. He spent his youth pasturing sheep, which is an indication of the honorable life he lived. Muhammad, peace be upon him, lived virtuously, even before the prophethood. He did not drink alcohol, did not eat the meat of animals slaughtered at an altar, did not celebrate festivals in honor of the idols or participate in related ceremonies. He never worshipped idols. On the contrary, he was the first one to refrain from polytheism. He did not swear by the pre-Islamic deities and could not stand hearing anyone else do it. He spoke the truth, and was very gentle and trustworthy. He kept every promise and honored every pledge. Because of these qualities, Quraysh called him El Sadiq, the truthful one, the one who always speaks the truth only, and El Amin, the trustworthy one. Describing Muhammad's virtuous life before the prophethood, famous historian Ibn al-Athir wrote that the Prophet, peace be upon him, had said, 
I was never interested in the things the pre-Islamic Arabs indulged in, except in two cases. But each time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected me, so it never again occurred me to do it. One evening, I told a young boy who pastured the sheep together with me on the hills around Mecca, Will you take care of my flock for a while, so that I could go to the town to party like other young men? He said he would, and I said of. When I reached the first houses in Mecca, I heard the music playing, and I asked, What is this? I was told, This is a wedding party. Two young people are getting married. I sat down to listen to the music. But it was the divine providence that made me fall asleep at once. I didn't wake up before the next day, when the sun's heat woke me up. I returned to my fellow shepherd, and he asked me what it had been like. I told him, and I decided I would go again the following evening. When I entered Mecca, in the evening, the same thing happened. After that, it never occurred me to do something bad. This tradition carries a lesson for parents to pay attention to the places their sons and daughters go to, and the company they keep. This tradition actually speaks in favor of the view that children and adolescents should not be permitted to have a go at everything in their early days, lest they should later crave something they have not tried. When a young person gets into the habit of indulging in a vice, it will be very difficult for him to quit later in life. The exalted Allah, who chose Muhammad to reveal his last message to mankind through him, protected him from going to places where vice was indulged in. This is a clear message that parents should not permit their children to go to such places. Imam al-Bukhari transmits from Jabir ibn Abdullah. During the reconstruction of the Kaaba, which happened before the prophethood, the prophet, peace be upon him, went together with his uncle Abbas to carry the stone for the reconstruction. Abbas told the prophet to throw his izar, lower garment, over his shoulder in order not to get blisters from the stones when he was about to do it. The Prophet, peace be upon him, fell on the ground and fainted with his gaze directed at the heaven. When he regained consciousness, he cried, My Izar, my Izar, and pulled tight his lower garment. Another version of this hadith reads, Never again were his private parts seen. League of the Virtues, Hilf al-Fudul, and Participation in War the pre-Islamic Arab tribes often started wars that would last for years. Sometimes a mere trifle served as justification for war. For example, a camel of one tribe would wander off to another tribe's territory, and if the latter tribe did not return the camel to its owners, a war would break out. It was a custom of the pre-Islamic Arabs not to wage wars during the sacred month, more precisely, not to start a fight first. However, defense from an attack was permitted. When a tribe violated this rule, 
the ensuing war would be called Harbel Fijr, sacrilegious war. At the time when the Prophet peace be upon him grew into a young man and turned fifteen, war broke out between the respective tribes of Kinana and Amir. Being allies of the Kinana tribe, Quraysh were involved in this war. The Prophet's uncles, Al Zubair, the head of the Hashim clan at the time, and Abu Talib took him with them into a battle, but told him that he would not participate in the battle directly, as he was too young, but would help by collecting the enemy arrows that had missed their mark and hand them to his uncles to use them against the enemy. However, at one of the subsequent battles, where Quraysh and their allies had the worst of the day, he was allowed to shoot arrows and he proved to be a skillful archer. Later, when a peace deal was brokered, Prophet's uncle Al-Zubayr launched an initiative for the restoration of Hilf al-Fudul, a centuries-old order of chivalry. Many people attended the restoration ceremony in the house of the affluent and respectable Abdullah ibn Judan. They vowed that henceforth no one in Mecca must be oppressed or be a victim of violence, whether a Meccan or a foreigner, and that they would all stand together on the side of the oppressed against the oppressor until justice was done. Among the ones who made a vow were the clans of Banu Hashim, the clan of the Prophet peace be upon him, their kinsmen and allies, Banu al-Mutalib, Banu Zuhra, the clan of the Prophet's mother, and Banu Taim, Abu Bakr's clan. Muhammad was always proud of his presence at the ceremony of Hilf al-Fudul, which is a kind of a pact of chivalry. Much later, when he became the messenger of Allah, he said, I was present in the house of Abdullah ibn Judan, at so excellent a pact that I would not exchange my part in it for a herd of red camels, and if now, in Islam, I were simoned unto it, I would gladly respond. Red camels were a priceless treasure for Arabs. One of the reasons of the Prophet's enthusiasm with his pact is the fact that it actually represented the beginning of an abolition of the pre-Islamic fanaticism, Asabiya, which implied an unconditional loyalty to one's clan and tribe.